I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. Obesity rates in the United States have doubled in the past 20 years, and without changes, nearly half of the adult population will be obese by 2030. Though there are many approaches to weight loss, diet and exercise, drugs, surgery, their safety and efficacy varies widely from patient to patient. Phenomic Sciences is using phenotyping to understand the type of obesity each individual has to tailor treatments that address it specifically. Based on work at the Mayo Clinic, Phenomics breaks obesity into four different subtypes. We spoke to Mark Bagnell, CEO of Phenomics, about the company's efforts to bring precision medicine to the treatment of obesity, the testing it performs, and the science underlying its approach. Mark, thanks for joining us. Danny, great to be here. I really appreciate the invite to be on with you today. We're going to talk about obesity, phenomic sciences, and its efforts to personalize an approach to weight loss based on a combination of environmental and behavioral factors. Let's start with the problem. How big a health concern is obesity today? Uh, yes, it's, 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 a, it's a huge problem um, and one that in many respects, is not really recognized uh, so much as a clinical problem, but in terms of its impact and the size, you know, 42% of adult Americans uh, today are classified as clinically obese, which means uh, BMIs over 30. Uh, that number has been rising inexorably, and by 2030, that is expected to surpass 50% of adult Americans. It's, it's also a problem uh, in young adults, adolescents, and children. Um, so for those under 18, we're seeing rates of obesity of uh, around 20%, something that we really 20 years ago never really expected to see. And then in terms of costs, um, there are a number of different measures, uh, of course, of the cost. In terms of dollars, uh, there are some estimates that suggests it could be costing the U.S. healthcare system half a trillion dollars a year, which is astounding. And those are dollars, obviously, that could be uh, better spent elsewhere. Um, but, but more importantly, you know, the, the cost in terms of overall health uh, and the impact on overall health is, is remarkable. So it is a risk factor for many diseases. Uh, type 2 diabetes, cardiovascular disease, hypertension, and on and on. Many cancers, in fact, um, uh, have obesity as a risk factor. And as we saw during COVID, um, those who suffered from obesity were much more likely to get bad outcomes uh, than others. And so the health impact of obesity and the costs are, are absolutely uh, staggering. 
one of the reasons this is such a big problem is that many people pursue treatments that are either ineffective for them or when they are successful at losing weight, they fail to maintain that weight loss over time. Why is that? Well, there are many reasons. And I, I, the hypothesis that we're working on is uh, that, and, and this is something that has been demonstrated and well known, is that um, there's a variability in response to treatment. Um, and this uh, has uh, perplexed those who are working uh, to solve the obesity crisis. In fact, about three years ago, the NIH, in recognition of, of this issue, launched something called the ADOPT program. Uh, and that was a biomarker program to look for biomarkers that might associate with specific uh, interventions and therefore predict whether or not that intervention uh, would work for that specific individual. You know, this is a complex disease and, and it, as many chronic diseases are, um, changes across, across ethnicities, uh, changes across time, uh, changes as a result of treatment. Um, and I think, you know, our motto uh, as a company is one size does not fit all. Um, the evidence uh, clearly bears that out. Um, in fact, um, studies suggest that for almost all treatments, about a third of patients actually respond. But the difficulty is figuring out which third is going to work with the treatment that you're prescribing. And so that's where we come in at Phenomics. Our job is, is to bring personalized and precision medicine to the field. Well, you're trying to change obesity treatment through personalization by looking at genotype and, and phenotype of the individual. The company argues that obesity is not a single condition, but rather four conditions. What's the case for that? Yeah, so it's um, we're very fortunate to have been uh, founded out of uh, years of work at Mayo Clinic. So there are two highly respected Mayo Clinic weight loss and gastroenterology specialists, uh, Dr. Michael Camilleri and Dr. Andres Acosta. Uh, they took on this um, undertaking of looking at the rationale behind variability or response about 10 years ago. They treated almost a 1,000 patients in clinical studies, and they do what you know, it's typical of Mayo Clinic, which is uh, every patient who comes in is subjected to just rigorous uh, observational analysis. So they get, they, they'll go on treadmill tests, they go through body composition scans, they're fed, you know, radio labeled omelet, and then using nuclear imaging, measure the amount of time that food uh, passes through the intestine. And on and on and on. I mean, these are just a rigorous observation. And so as a result of that work, you're looking at these clinical observations and then studying the outcomes in clinical studies. They were able to determine that there were indeed, as you said, these four subtypes or phenotypes of obesity. Um, and, and they are recognizable to obesity specialists and they, they, they see how these um, 
these different phenotypes will work. And, and, I, and I'll explain it. Um, so the four are briefly uh, hungry brain. So hungry brain um, are characterized by people who eat a lot at a single meal, more, more calories than the average person at a single meal. Uh, the second one is hungry gut. Uh, hungry gut patients um, eat a normal amount at a single meal, but then very quickly feel hungry afterwards. And so within half an hour, 45 minutes, they're snacking again. Uh, then there's emotional hunger. So people who eat for emotional reward, either because they're feeling great or because they're feeling lousy. And then lastly, uh, they're slow burn. And those are people who have either low resting energy expenditure or just don't get enough physical activity or exercise. So those are the groupings that they found um, exist in about uh, 90% of the patients who've been through these studies. Um, furthermore, they determined that each of those are mechanistically distinct. Uh, they've done some very uh, interesting uh, mechanistic studies on these patients down to uh, single cell analysis um, of cells in the gut lining, for example. And as a result of, of that, um, those mechanistic studies are able to direct uh, the interventions to those specific uh, phenotypes. How does the psychological dimension of obesity complicate treating the physiological aspects of the disease? Uh, that's a great question. Um, you know, if I, uh, if our founder, Dr. Acosta, were here, he would tell you that, um, you know, there was a great increase in, um, weight amongst his patients and a, a greater struggle to maintain weight loss, uh, during COVID. And, um, uh, some part of that was obviously the psychological effects of the lockdown and the concern, uh, how long the lockdown would occur. We have, um, looked at this and, and clearly of the four phenotypes that we look at, uh, emotional eating is, is that phenotype that has a, a focus on the kind of psychology of the disease. And so there are, you know, sp specific, uh, interventions for, uh, those, uh, people who have uh, obesity as a result of psychological um, issues or problems, and 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 those are both um, uh, therapy and 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 there are drug therapies as well. Um, the there's another issue though that that kind of sits on top of the whole area of obesity, which is is also a concern, which is. Um, because of the way we think about the disease, uh, which is uh, for, a, for a number of years, we've really thought of obesity almost as a moral failing rather than a clinical problem. Um, that, that issue of a moral failing uh, sits over the entire field. And we believe that by bringing a rigorous clinical approach to the disease, 
we can begin to move that back. We can begin to push back on this idea that it's a moral failing and recognize this is a clinical problem just like any other disease and deserves to be treated in a clinical fashion. You walked us through the four different types of obesity. Do people ever suffer from more than one type simultaneously? Ah, great question. Yes, uh, sadly. And, and, and one of the um, uh, things that we know that we'll be looking to do over time is to introduce retesting and introduce um, ways of monitoring patients. In fact, we've already developed an app to help monitor patients. But in the studies that were done at Mayo Clinic, um, there were certainly overlaps of, of two or more uh, uh, types of uh, obesity, phenotypes of obesity in patients. And so, and, and in fact, as, as patients move forward over time, um, you can kind of transition from one to another as well. So uh, knowing this, it, it allows a physician and a patient to continually monitor um, what is going on with their weight loss journey uh, and be aware that they could be transitioning amongst these. Be aware that, you know, at one point in time, uh, one type of intervention it will be more important than another. Um, and there may be transitions between interventions because of, of these overlaps of phenotypes. To what extent have you been able to link genotype to phenotype? Uh, that is a, um, an ongoing uh, and um, fun but complex uh, task that we are undertaking now in the company. We are fortunate to have a very talented uh, head of data science, uh, Tim O'Connor, who comes to us from companies like Illumina and CareDX. And Tim has been building out the infrastructure to look at um, the uh, full genomes of each of these uh, roughly a thousand patients who have been through the clinical studies at Mayo Clinic. And so uh, we're able to, uh, as a baseline, understand uh, these patients' phenotypes. Uh, we also, for many of them, have outcome studies that link uh, the phenotype to a specific intervention, to a positive or negative outcome. And now what we are doing is doing those association uh, studies that then allow us to link all the way through from a genotype to a, a phenotype uh, to an outcome. Uh, those are, going, are obviously the, 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 the best basis for developing precision medicine when you actually have the outcome study already completed as a gold standard for whether or not that genotyping is actually relevant in a clinical setting. I would say that what we're finding is that it's pretty complex. So right now we're focusing down on about 15 genes and 
overall, we're looking at somewhere in the neighborhood of six to 10,000 SNPs across uh, those, those genes. So this is, a, as one would expect for something like obesity, um, this is a non-trivial uh, exercise. That's remarkable. Walk me through the test that Phenomics does. How does it work and what does a patient need to do? Yeah, so we um, are looking to launch our first test uh, at the beginning of the year. Our first test um, will focus on the new uh, GLP-1 drugs. So rightfully so, uh, Wegovy has received a, a, a fair amount of attention. Um, it's showing great uh, weight loss. It does have a distribution of um, responders and non-responders, like all other weight loss drugs. But if you're a responder, you get really good weight loss. If you're a non-responder, you suffer in two ways. One, it's expensive and largely unreimbursed. And secondly, like all GLP-1 drugs, there's a period, at least on initial uptake, of side effects, which are mostly nausea, but some people also suffer fairly regular vomiting in the first two months. So uh, the physicians that we have been talking to who prescribe that would like to know whether or not they should put their, their patients on, on Wegovy or not, and that'll be our first uh, test. Uh, and, and, and it's actually quite similar to a, um, a, a regular blood test. A patient will, um, at, at their visit with their physician, the physician says, I want to put you on this drug. I think you should take this test first. Um, we are still determining, quite frankly, whether that will be a venous blood draw or, um, it will or, or could be a buckle swab just just right now finalizing that decision uh that test gets sent to um our lab we process it and within about a week uh you as the patient and your physician will get a report that says you know we we believe you should um uh, 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 we, we believe that you will be a responder to GLP-1 drugs. Um, we have in development um, tests for all the phenotypes. Uh, we'll be very quickly releasing uh, additional phenotypic uh, tests. But um, what we are hearing from the market, or at least our physician friends, is that they really want to know uh, whether or not uh, Wegovy is going to work for you or not. Does this require a physician ordering the test? Is there going to be a way for consumers to have themselves tested? Yes. The, so currently, we want to include the physician in the process. So uh, the physician will order the test. Um, as of today, we're um, we, we do not have uh, reimbursement codes or reimbursement set up for the test. Uh, sadly, um, and, and, and partly given just the nature of obesity, uh, there's, there's very little coverage for, uh, obesity interventions right now. So for the patient, um, who, uh, who as I said, unfortunately are used to paying mostly or most of their interventions 
um, paying for the for our test will not be outside of the norm for their for their obesity journey. Um, but um, in the future, we could see a potential for patients to uh, self-test. Uh, but again, you know, today I think we're um, how to put this the right way. We, you know, there's a lot of people who who view and a lot of companies who view kind of the, the obesity as a consumer marketplace, and we think that continuing that 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 kind of pushing obesity into the field of uh, clinical medicine is the right thing to do, and that means keeping the physician engaged and having the physician be part of the ordering process, part of the analytical process, part of the decision-making process uh, once you have been tested. In the case of a GLP-1, which of the four forms of obesity would that fall into? Uh, so that, uh, our, um, or at least ours, the Mayo Clinic um, uh, mechanistic uh, studies suggest that that is a hungry gut. Test. Now, you know, GLP-1s work through a number of different mechanisms, um, but the, the mechanism that is relevant to hungry gut is that it is, um, you know, hormone, it's a gut hormone that is secreted to uh, slow down uh, passage of food through the gut. And so um, the hypothesis is that uh, there are uh, issues in people with the hungry gut phenotype uh, in the secretion of GLP-1 uh, and other gut hormones like PYY. Uh, and that's why you see this benefit with um, patients who are hungry gut patients who are on GLP-1 therapies. So our founders have worked actually with two earlier uh, GLP-1s in clinical studies, exenatide and liraglutide and have demonstrated that in uh, patients with rapid gastric emptying that um, which is which is our hungry gut uh, patients with rapid gastric emptying that those uh, interventions uh, work best and 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 work uh, better than in the other phenotype there's a, a medicine available for people who fall into this one phenotype how might future test results inform treatment decisions? Uh, great question. The, so there are you know, medicines for, for that we believe are targeted, appropriately targeted at the other um, phenotypes. So uh, for hungry brain, it appears that uh, Qsimia, uh, which is marketed by Avivus, uh, works best. Um, and for uh, emotional hunger, uh, Contrave appears to work best. In fact, uh, Curax, that markets Contrave, just recently started a, an ad campaign, uh, One Size Does Not Fit All, which happens to be actually our motto as well. And um, they cited our founder's work and um, noted that they their drug would be appropriate for uh, the emotional eating phenotype with something that our founders at Mayo Clinic would agree with. But there are uh, 
devices um, that line up with these phenotypes and surgical techniques that line up with these phenotypes also. So we are having discussions with uh, device manufacturers about how we could help identify the right patients uh, for them. And then lastly, um, and, I, and I need to be careful of um, not to steal too much thunder from our founder who will be presenting the results at next month's uh, Obesity Management Association Conference. Um, there's some really exciting work on lifestyle interventions that line up with the phenotypes. So diet, uh, exercise, et cetera, programs that will specifically uh, match the phenotypes and, um, and will, will help uh, guide therapy and help either to uh, improve the outcome of a patient who's already on uh, a drug or who has, has um, had a, uh, a surgical technique applied, or uh, they may go directly to a lifestyle intervention tailored to the phenotype and therefore not need uh, drugs, devices, and surgery. So exciting stuff. More to come on that, Danny. At the end of the day, there's a basic math problem involved in obesity, calories consumed versus calories burned. Why is weight loss more complicated than increasing burn and consuming less? Yes, and, and again, this kind of goes back to the issue of the moral failing. Um, you know, a lot of patients here, when they go uh, to their physician, and this has been a problem particularly in the past, now now we're beginning to turn the corner on this. Uh, look, just eat less, just exercise more. Um, and I think that um, first of all, you know, that is fundamentally good advice. That is what we are trying to get to. But from a you know population health point of view, that advice hasn't worked clearly. Right? We've gone from twenty percent obesity rates to fifty percent obesity rates, and probably higher. Um, and I think we, we need to apply it to get this under control, bend the curve on these upward obesity rates. We just need to go back and recognize that there's some underlying issue, some path, pathophysiological issue that we are not properly addressing. And that is our mission. Apenomics is to look at all the underlying causes is to is to do the phenotyping and link it to the genotyping and do the clinical studies and apply uh, proper science to it and along with our friends in the pharmaceutical business uh, along with our friends in the uh, lifestyle intervention companies and device companies if we stick to it we will find you know, these underlying causes. Now, you know, th those underlying causes eventually will lead to somebody not eating as many calories. Or in some cases, we are going to have to say to folks, and, and, and for example, the, the folks who are most likely to have the problem of, of not burning enough calories, the people we put in the slow burn category, um, you know, those, those, you know, again, that was an issue during COVID. People didn't exercise enough. Um, people lost muscle mass. 
and all of that results in slow burn. So there, there will be a category of people who need to work on that. But, you know, uh, if you are not secreting enough PYY or GLP-1, all of the kind of willpower in the world isn't going to get past that as an underlying mechanistic issue that needs to be addressed. This is an area that's been rife with people promoting magic solutions. What's the conversation been like with physicians and, and what's the case you make to them about the merits of? It's been very interesting for me coming in, you know, about a year and a half ago into this field, um, talking to obesity specialists. Um, so there's about, 5,000 uh, board-certified obesity specialists in the United States, um, actually, which is an important thing in itself because 10 years ago, there were only 500. And the fact that, that the field is taking off is actually a, a good sign uh, for the entire field and for where obesity is going to go. Um, but when you talk to physicians, uh, specialists, uh, there are... Um, you know, a number of issues. All of them will tell you that a big part of the problem is, is that obesity is not treated, uh, as seriously as a disease, as, as other diseases. Witness the fact that, uh, low reimbursement rates for interventions. Um, they, they are concerned for their patients. Most of their patients who end up at an obesity specialist have spent thousands of dollars on unscientific or low scientific value interventions, the magic bullets that you talk about. Um, and most of them have, are, are ready to give up. Uh, and what they are all looking for uh, is a rigorous clinical approach to solving the disease. And that, that was the thing when I started working uh, on, on putting phenomics together was, was most striking. The fact that there is this hunger for an approach like uh, ours to stratify patients, understand what is going on mechanistically, and, and to develop products where th there is a a, a the irrationale for clinical invention so that the information you get uh, leads to um, a, a, a real solution. And so that um, for us has been uh, very interesting to watch how uh, physicians, these obesity physicians respond to us specifically. And, and I, I would I don't mean to say that we're the only ones who are taking that rigorous clinical approach, far from it. Um, but just there are not enough, you know, the percentage of people who are taking the rigorous clinical approach versus the magic bullet guys, there's not enough of us and too many of them. You, you mentioned payers' reluctance to reimburse for uh, many of these weight loss efforts. Uh, I, I suspect that has a lot to do with their efficacy as opposed to the payer's interest in seeing people healthier. Uh, have you had discussions with payers here and, and what, what's been that response? Yes. 
And and I I agree with that. I think part of the part of the issue that payers have faced is they have seen they've been promised a lot of um, they've been promised a lot of of, of um, effective interventions and not seen as many of them. Um, and obviously the other issue is just how large a problem it is. Um, we've had some early discussions with payers. Uh, their view is that as interventions become better, as these new drugs uh, come on the market, I think there's about 15 new drugs in development, that um, the rate of uh, reimbursement will go up. Um, and because of that, uh, the value of having a tool like ours that gives the physician, the patient, and now the payer, some insight onto whether or not that particular intervention will benefit a patient will be seen to be extremely valuable. Mark Bagnell, CEO of Phenomic Sciences. Mark, thanks so much for your time today. Danny, thanks so much for having me. Really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send an email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.